<laughs> That's staying in. <laughs> they were called nasties, and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen a video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. And welcome back to another episode of Doing the Nasty Podcast. This is season two, episode number five, six, six. I think it's six. Episode six. That, that yeah, it's June. Episode follows the month, Duncan. Uh, episode six. I'm one half of the voices you will be hearing on this episode. I'm Duncan McLeish, of course. I'll be joined, as always, on this season by. A guy who is, I would say a glutton for punishment, but we do get to talk about something kind of fucking awesome this week. Uh, my my friend, my podcast comrade, an all-round great cunt, Mark, how's it going? <laughs> I love when you call people great cunts. Uh, like those, like, oh, it's our introduction, or there's, there's something early there about uh, calling all of us Midnight Horror Show Boys a, 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 a shower, shower of, of cunts. cunts. Yep, yep, That's shower it. of cunts. Yeah. <laughs> And we're like, we we need to get this guy on the show. This is this is this is gold. <laughs> he has a he has a turn of phrase that I'm unfamiliar with, but I like. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, good good morning, doing nasty listeners. This was a super quick turnaround on this show. Duncan messaged me yesterday morning and was like, "Oh shit, dude, we should probably get doing the nasty done." I'm like, uh, well, I probably can't do Sunday, but uh, how about tomorrow morning around like 7 a.m. my time? I'm yeah. like, all right. Let's I mean, do it. I mean, if one of those movies that you have to discuss is Friday the 13th Part 2, I mean, technically it's only one movie you have to watch. Yeah, I basically watched like a movie and a half because, yeah, yeah I've, I've seen Friday the 13th a fucking bazillion times. Although, I think Part 2 is one of the ones I watch a little bit less. I think my go-tos are usually like uh, like 6 and 7 mm-hmm. and 3 and 4, kind of. Yeah, I think that maybe speaks more to your age with six and seven, though. I would imagine those are probably more in line for those would be popular rentals. You, you know what I mean? So the first, I think, the first time I became aware of Jason Voorhees and who he is, or like saw anything about him, was around the time Jason Goes to Hell hit like pay per view. Oh wow. <laughs> I was thinking about I was thinking about this that this morning. Well, because we didn't have like cable or anything in my house until I was like uh, like thirteen or fourteen. So if I wanted to watch it like this, I had to go to my grandma's house and um, yeah. By by the time I was like twelve or thirteen ish, I had just carte blanche to rent whatever I wanted at the video store. So I have a pretty distinct memory of renting Friday the Thirteenth one, two, I think three and four. And just watching them all in a weekend, but uh, definitely a few years before that, like yeah, when Jason goes to hell, I think it was was just hitting pay per view. Do you remember on cable and satellite they used to have like a whole channel that just ran previews? Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm a fucking weirdo, and I used to like sit and watch those. I think I even have like some VHS tapes where I would just like record the trailers for stuff that like 
probably my parents weren't going to let me watch. And again, I'd have to go to my grandma's and be like, come on, grandma, it's not that bad. And she'd let me watch it. But uh, yeah, that, I think that was like roughly around when I first became aware of who Jason Voorhees was. And I also grew up with this kid named Kyle whose parents let him watch fucking anything from a very young age that knew all about Jason and Freddy and Leatherface and knew the mythology and had seen all these movies a million times probably. So there was that, but yeah, I didn't really... I was at least a teenager by the time I actually started watching these movies. And yeah, this, these are... The Friday the 13th movies are like one of your basic food groups as far as horror goes. I think every horror fan goes back to these pretty frequently. Yeah, I mean, I've seen them so many times it's, it's not even worth trying to recount them. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's my go-to. It's my favourite franchise. He's my favourite horror character. And, like, unashamedly, my favourite horror character. And as such... Like, when this finally came up on the list, and part three is also on the nasty list as well, so we will eventually ah, nice. get into that. And my my complete contempt for Shelley as a character. But he does get the hockey mask, so that's not too bad. Um, yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to, to, to swinging in to that for sure. Now, I did come to a realisation, right, uh, as I was prepping for this show, that since we brought doing the nasty back, uh, there has been a global pandemic... Mm-hmm. Um, we've had like a spike of kind of lockdowns throughout the world uh, and now open riots in the street almost every month that we record something else really fucking gnarly happens and puts the world on its axis so what I'm saying is if the internet no longer exists next month which it might not have. <laughs> and this is the last episode that you hear of doing the nasty. I love you all, listeners. Um, yep. <laughs> thank it's you. Been, for, it's been a, been a good ride. <laughs> thanks for spending time with us. I was waiting for the next shoot to fall, honestly. Uh, yeah, on this episode, we will be discussing Friday the 13th, part two from 1981, and the nesting from 1981. That's right, a double bill for you. These movies could not be any more different if they tried so I'm very much looking forward to getting to a bit of banter on that one as always we will um, we will intersperse throughout this episode some voices from the Video Nasties doc DVD I can't remember who does the intros for these ones so this could be quite interesting it depends which voice you get some of them as the listeners will now know are a bit kind of cannot be arsed talking they're just like oh this movie here so glad that you put so glad you put a camera on me to talk on this DVD about this fucking great movie, which I don't really understand. But then you get like every now and again you like get an Alan Jones who is wonderfully over the top and campy about things, or a Kim Newman who looks like like a, a magician from 1983. Um, <laughs> you know, like, a, a, but he's, he's kind of he's he's paying homage to magicians from '54 who paid homage to magicians from 1922 so you, you'll see what I mean if you ever if you ever want just type in Kim Newman into Google and uh, when you see him you will understand that this guy should I don't know this guy should be sawing a woman in half instead of reviewing movies although his <laughs> his, 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 review, his reviewing style I fucking deeply love so uh, yeah so like I don't know who does the intros for these ones but you will hear them anyway um, so I think we'll just get into this, like because I think there's a lot, a lot more to discuss on one of the movies. We won't give away which one that one is. Um, then there is about the other one, which 
I had some things happen in it, but dear God, was it like pulling teeth. Um, so, let's. Uh, I, I will give you dealer's choice, Mark, in this one. Which movie do you want to discuss first? The Nesting or Friday the 13th Part 2? Um... Let's get the let's get the nesting knocked out while it's still relatively fresh in my brain. I like that. I like that thinking. Saving the best for last. Oops, did nope. I just give away my feelings? <laughs> 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 so we're going to take a very short break. You're going to hear words from learned people, um, like I said, or semi-interested people. Then you're going to hear the trailer for the movie. When we return, we will be discussing a little bit of the nesting from 1981. Coming right up, right after this. The Nesting is one of those titles that I'm not entirely sure what it means. The film was, I think, made as Phobia. Probably had to change its title because there was that John Huston movie called Phobia that came out about the same time. Also, it's one of those things where the, the heroine is, is originally has agoraphobia. She's afraid to leave the house. But that actually doesn't seem to have anything to do with the particular story, which is uh, a writer who discovers that the house she's rented is uh, a former brothel and the site of a massacre uh, uh, that there are ghosts about. It's an interesting minor ghost story. It's one of those pictures that uses sort of interesting people in cameos. Gloria Graham is back in it. She, she'd... Uh, uh, had a certain exploitation record in Massacre Mansion and Blood and Lace. Uh, she plays a ghost. John Carradine, who's like um, your your step down from Vincent Price as a horror star, but he'd been at it for so long. And in the early 80s, with the sort of revival of horror, he started getting a lot more work. He's in things like The Howling and The House of the Long Shadows and The Boogeyman. And so he became a sort of horror name again. Uh, and I think this is actually one of his best uh, latter-day parts. So he gets uh, some meat. Uh, obviously, he's not in good enough shape to be in lots and lots of scenes. But what he does has a lot of impact. As a story, it's rather ordinary. Armand Weston, the director, had made some porn stuff previously under several names. And this seemed to be the, the movie he thought would launch him into a respectable, above-ground career, which he didn't. He didn't go on to make anything else at all and, and died in 1988. Uh, he does a good, solid, competent job on this, but no more. Uh, and the movie didn't really stand out enough set next to any one of yeah, a dozen other people move into a creaky old house and scary stuff happen films. It's not as memorable as Silent Scream, for instance. It's not as memorable as Legend of Hell House. It's just another one of these haunted house pictures. Um, watchable enough on an afternoon, but nothing special. Fear visits many places, but this is where it lives. The nesting. You cannot escape the fear. You cannot forget the face. You will not live until you've killed the nesting. You are not going crazy. Then what the hell is it? It's when your dreams turn to nightmares and your nightmares turn on you. It goes beyond the supernatural, beyond the psychological, beyond the realm of reason. <laughs> the nesting. 
The horror grows. The mystery builds. It's she. It's got to be. The madness infects everyone around you. And then, you're all alone. Welcome back, ladies and gents. You just heard the trailer for The Nesting, directed by porn director Armand Weston. Uh, yes, this They're guy. They're all porn directors at some point, it seems like. Pretty much. I think that's how you, like, you know how, like, some people, like, nowadays you get into making movies by making a cheap horror movie? I think back in the day you just got into making movies by making porn. There was still there was still money in porn back then. Like mm-hmm. you could actually get like you know a, a deal to sell a porn movie to porn theaters, which I think barely, if at all, exist anymore. And yeah, uh, yeah, nobody pays for their porn anymore. So uh, I, I think now you make the the clever YouTube video that gets like five million fucking views, and if you're smart enough to be able to monetize that, then you get a little chunk of change. It's like oh, I'll go go make the short film, and then. If you're lucky, your short film gets played at actual film festivals, and then maybe you get a feature if you're lucky. Yeah, I think that sounds right. I mean, that that to me, let's be honest, nowadays nowadays anyone can make a movie, whether or not as good as... Back in the day, there was an actual money issue in making a movie, because you had to buy film. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, you don't have to buy fucking any film. Um, the next thing is directed by Armand Weston, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Daria Price. Um, we have some people in here that we should probably mention uh, we have uh, let's see um, Robin Groves Christopher Loomis uh, Michael David Lally John Carradine in a blinking you miss him performance honestly very little John Carradine in here and I kind of get I, I know why <laughs> He's like, I, think he, I think he was dead already and they're pulling a weekend at Bernie's on us because he gets ill really quick and he then looks horrible and he spends the whole movie in bed or in bed. a wheelchair and we've got Bill Rowley David Tabor Patrick Farley Bobo Lewis which is the best name ever Bobo <laughs> um, looks so good uh, and June Berry uh, the synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as a writer suffering from agoraphobia rents an isolated house so she can concentrate on her writing she doesn't know that the house is a former brothel, which feels like that should have been disclosed. But yeah, you never know. Real estateers, can I get can I get an email? Anyone? Um, and is inhabited by the ghosts of dead prostitutes. They're the worst ghosts because they charge you for the morning. Um, All these dead hookers are keeping me up at night. I want my in, deposit back. <laughs> they're in the fucking walls. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, right. I'd never heard of this movie before. I thought I had. Um, in fact, I was almost 100% sure I had that it was some sort of... Until you actually read the synopsis properly, which I didn't do when I read it last week. I just kind of blitzed over it. I thought it might have something to do with maybe potentially insects. And you can kind of see why from the writing on the cover. 
Um, and the fact that the weapon on the front cover is also a giant sickle, so I thought corn, children of the corn, insects yeah. in the corn. Like, I, my brain was following a pattern that kind of made sense. Not I still don't really film. get the title, The Nesting. Is that like... Maybe that's like a phrase for like a uh, where you lay, lay with women of the night, I guess you'd say, or I don't, maybe, I don't get it. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just a porn term. <laughs> <laughs> it's a leftover porn title. They already had the poster. They're like, eh, whatever. Let's just make a movie about dead hookers around this. I, I don't. Like, so yeah, like so. I knew very little about it, and um, I watched it and. I mean, a couple of things I want to get out of the way first and then we can maybe delve into a bit more. This movie is almost an hour and three quarters long and feels double that length. You know, this movie has some serious pacing issues. That's not to say that there aren't some interesting things that happen. There's just so few and far between until the absolute crazy batshit bonkers ending. Uh, There's a whole lot of road to toe to get to that point. Um, The second thing is... The musical score at times is really, really good, and then at other times feels like used clips from Columbo episodes never aired. Um, <laughs> it really, I, I, I don't know, Columbo gets a lot of mentions on this, but I'd like, I, I feel... We're it fans. Does, yeah, I just feel it does, man. It's like... <laughs> like the car pulls up, she gets at the car, and I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? Um, and then the last thing is, this might have... The most annoying boyfriend character in the history of cinema, right? He's awful, and his name is Marcus, which further, like, refines my opinion that, like, almost everybody, every other either Mark or Marcus I've ever met in my life was a fucking tool or an <laughs> asshole. Without fail. I've met, like, two good dudes named Mark, and, uh, yeah, the, the the boyfriend in this movie is not one of them. Oh, it's like the, it's the pithy one-liners. Everything's a one-liner, and none he's of them so are funny. He's so funny. He thinks he's so fucking hilarious through, like, the first, like, third of this movie. And I knew 20 minutes into this movie, I'm like, this movie is about gaslighting. This is, yep. a, this is a movie about a woman who the has a pretty serious mental illness, and none of the dudes in her life take her seriously. Yep, and you are 100% spot on. But for 1981, right, there are some interesting elements in this movie, specifically about the view of men on quote-unquote hysterical women. Yep. Uh, the way, you know, the, the, the kind of the hierarchy of society is leveled that way, right down to a super condescending psychiatrist whose cure for agoraphobia is move to the country. (laughs) Buy a gigantic house that's isolated out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that'll cure your agoraphobia. And I was like, what the fuck? And and there's a great line in this where she kind of, she counters them. And a moment which I feel should happen in every single movie or TV show that has a psychiatrist character arguing with their client, where she's like, it's like seven years at $70 an hour, I've paid you like, and she gives them like the total amount of money, and, that, and I'm thinking to myself, that's enough to buy a fucking, that's enough to buy this house, the land round about it, and you know, the, the fucking, all the prostitutes in there to work full time, you can set up your own brothel and the money yeah, that she's spent it, on you. So, it's like a quarter of a million dollars, which is fairly accurate. I think even nowadays, like a, a psychiatrist and stuff like that, charges upwards of a hundred bucks an hour, depending. Insane! So, 
Insane it's money. Insane. Yeah, exactly. But so she's like that. For that, you can at least come out and witness the fucking strange house. Um, but yeah, so essentially we have a character here who, out of nowhere, out of the blue, she's a writer, and out of the blue just develops uh, agoraphobia. Uh, she's suggested to go and rent a place in the country. She finds this place by some sort of weird happenstance, but feels that she has a connection with it. Her boyfriend is the most annoying man on the planet who should have died about three or four times in this movie, but somehow survives it at the end. And I'm like, that's the biggest cock tease in cinema as well. Um, and then she just comes across a series of characters who treat her like a silly little girl. Although in saying that, maybe my favourite character in anything I've watched this week, out with Crazy Ralph, um, is Frank the Handyman. Uh, played by Bill Rowley. Frank is fucking amazing. Uh, he's, he's like just the best character ever. Who even at one point she's like, did you come into my room? And he's like, no, why, why would I come to your room? She's like, you did come in my room. I don't believe you. And he's like, I don't care if you believe me or not. She was like, you came. He was like, <laughs> and he's like, well, why would I come into your room? And she goes, you, you came into my room to use my typewriter. And he's like, I don't know how to type. <laughs> <laughs> It's real hard to push the little clickety clacks and make it say something. I think what maybe what he meant is I can't read or write. Maybe yeah, he's so fucking. He just so he's so sassy as a character. Um, but he's, he's like chugging bourbon the whole fucking conversation too, and it's like nine in the morning. It's like I I've met like maintenance dudes and groundskeepers just like this guy. Yeah, they're all fucking mega alcoholics. Yeah, I mean it's 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 dinner time somewhere Mark you know yep, I mean? yep. that's <laughs> breakfast right there <laughs> um, so yeah so she the boyfriend fucks off pretty quick because he's like I've run out of one liners I'll be back Gotta later back on. to the city and isolate you some more <laughs> so he fucks off and then we spend a bit of time with Frank Frank eventually is Haunted AF because <laughs> all the male characters are all the male characters that are fairly dismissive of uh, Lauren, you know, end up dying in in pretty nasty ways. And Frank gets the old workover by the ghosts, the old uh, Beetlejuice, Winona Ryder, like lift at the end, jump in the line, rock your body in time. Okay, I'm he's got a really unconvincing scream too. He's like, ah. <laughs> The drink it's like, dude, you're floating in the air. Like most people would be evacuating their bowels and like be crying bloody tears because of what the fuck is happening to them. He's, right then he, the way, the way like, he doesn't realize is he wasn't drinking bourbon anymore. He was on Everclear, uh, well. so he's fucked. Uh, but yeah, he his death is actually one of my favorites. Out with the horrible, like run to the lake where he's running along and he clearly just jumps down a flight of stairs like there's no like push or anything he goes oh that's a great stunt they, they, they edited it just right so that it's clearly a stunt man that does the actual like just like superman jump down a flight of stairs and mm-hmm. it looked like it hurt like hell and then yeah there's a cut and frank stands up basically yeah i mean those are wooden stairs and there's no padding so yeah that, nah. that's that's back in the day where a stunt man would do that mark you just do it you, you they say yeah uh, you, you know you're gonna get paid real well for this. You just fucking go for it. Yeah, yeah. They, they just stand up. They walk it off. Uh, unlike Frank, who ends up in the lake and then drowned by a sea of ghost hands. Um, Which is and, a really cool image. It's I, I, a I, great scene. It's like very the, tales from the crypt. I kind of love that. Yeah, there's there's about four or five sequences in this movie where I genuinely thought 
this is awesome. Why is it in this movie? <laughs> like, you know, like, it's surrounded by, like, a lot of kind of melodrama and tedium, and then you get these great... Like, the end of this movie, which we'll get to in a minute, is fucking great. Like, I, I love the, the, the why, it, why it shows you why the house is haunted, where it replays the scene. It's, it's brutal as fuck. Um, but then we, we swap out the Frank character for Frank's weird friend who thinks <laughs> did you did you laugh at his joke because i laughed a lot at his, like i mean i laughed to the point where i actually thought i was going to pee myself a little bit where she's like uh, um i'm i'm uh, you know mrs cochran and he goes cochran uh, where did it run to and i swear <laughs> to god pee was going to come out my on it I, I i had to pinch the top of my dick to stop I, like I, like for on it for a good five minutes Howling with laughter, and I thought this feels like it, even the boyfriend's been upstaged by the the <laughs> mechanic hillbilly dude. Um, it's the fucking greatest joke ever, but he turns out to be a bit safe to say nutty as a character. Yeah, this I, this scene definitely like I, I laughed a little bit at the joke, but I was really like kind of dis- distracted by how legitimately unhinged this guy looks like he doesn't look like an actor he looks like a fucking crazy guy that they just found and you know like they, they even try and they do the slasher movie thing and warner like uh you don't want to go up talking to that guy he's not very nice and sure enough he shows uh she shows up and the conversation goes nowhere and he turns into a fucking psychopath that wants to fucking kill her and tries to bite her fucking ear off like mike tyson and <laughs> It's I I thought that like it's it's a weird scene because it feels like it's from a different movie like it feels like it belongs in um, like midnight or something. Uh, yeah, but... just a bit. It, it's so weird and like so essentially like we're, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Like there's more characters that coming in and out of here, and then essentially we find out the crux of what is going on. The house that she has weirdly she has written about this house uh, subconsciously. Because she could never remember her dreams. She could never remember her dreams until she got to the house and then she could remember her dreams. And that's like a key point here. She's like holding on to some sort of repressed memory and pain. Uh, but the house itself was a, a house of ill repute, um, housing ladies of the night. So it was a, bit, it was a brothel. Uh, and during one uh, pretty rowdy, I think is a a word which doesn't quite encapsulate how bad this scene is, a rowdy night, the men just decide to go a-killing. And and this shows up towards the end in one of my favourite sequences in the movie, because it's all done slow-mo, and you see, like, the prostitutes coming running out the rooms and stuff, and the men just gunning them down. And it's, it's, it's a deep... Compared to some of... Compared to the Columbo music we've had earlier and Frank's inability to type... Um, and the weird man trying to bite her ear and the boyfriend's shitty one-liners and the unhelpful psychiatrist. This scene is genuinely in here to to show the trauma, the pain and all the rest. It is very well done. It's a, it's a very well shot scene and, and choreographed and it, it really works for me. But... <laughs> But then the movie kind of just gets even a little bit more bonkers in that this is the first movie I can ever think of off the top of my head where, like, a ghost prostitute just sits down and chats to the character she'd been haunting. Like, just chats. They just have a conversation. 
you don't I feel mean, like a, like J horror that seems to happen every once in a while. Like the the protagonist will have a conversation with the, the sit down and be like, oh, so this is the plot. This is what happened to me. Kind of here's the and you'll do the flashback and kind of like this movie does to the, the back the the massacre at the brothel yeah. basically. But as it happens sometimes in ghost stories and. Yeah, I think um, more of it should happen, Mark. I think there should always... I think if you're haunting someone, there should be a dialogue. <laughs> there should be a... It's, it's a lot easier than, you know, playing coy the whole movie. I mean, I, there wouldn't be a movie because a lot of these, like, ghost movies is them figuring out what is mm-hmm. causing the haunting and what the backstory is on. And it's like... That's it, part of why it's just a lot of the time I don't really get down with the paranormal haunting ghost kind of movies is because mm-hmm. they're all very similar and, like, you know... You usually know going in that it's a haunted house kind of thing, so it's just like waiting for the protagonist to figure out what the fuck is going on for a lot of it, basically, which I didn't necessarily feel a whole lot of that in this movie, but no. usually that's kind of how I feel about them. That's the weird thing about The Nesting, is that we have this inquisitive author woman who you would think would want to start to put the pieces together, but she's very... It's not that, that what's happening in the house is not affecting her. It clearly is, but she's just very nonchalant about the whole thing. Like Especially the- after the psychiatrist dies. I thought that like that there needed to be an extra scene in there. Like mm-hmm. that, that I, I thought that was honestly super if you're like even a little bit afraid of heights, uh, basically she like gets lured out onto like a the top story of the the house onto the like super slanted roof mm-hmm. and the psychiatrist pulls up and it looks like she's like getting ready to fucking jump basically so he gets up there and tries to save her and gets knocked off because she like lets out a scream like as soon as he's like almost over there and he falls down the roof and rolls onto a fucking spike like through his eyes yeah. and it's gruesome and <laughs> horrifying and I think it's the first kill of the movie basically and then immediately the next scene it goes into like uh, the the landlord's son basically and her talking and they're very nonchalant she's not yeah. crying or traumatized or anything it's it's almost like it didn't happen and i was like what the fuck man there needs to there needed to be another scene in there where they're like you know coping with something horribly traumatic and instead it's just like this whiplash inducing edit to the next scene and it's like nothing ever happened and i like i really thought they were gonna go somewhere with that and make it look like <clears throat> she pushed him basically and yeah so there'd be some suspicion against her from the locals and they didn't really do any of that yeah anything's better than what they do like either one she no longer wants to live in the place where the man who has been helping her through therapy for seven years is dead viciously yeah. or yeah we pivot that to well she's been acting a bit strange we've looked at the psychiatrist notes he says that you've been a bit unhinged recently and you know, there's you lured them out here. All this sort of stuff that you could maybe lean into, and I think that's that's where the movie became a bit of a frustration for me. Is I think in principle there's some really cool ideas in here and some really good deaths, but no one really acts like a normal person. Like no one acts like and in a movie as well where I think the premise of how men treat women. I think is a really interesting thing and we're getting a lot more cinema that tackles that nowadays but back then it was so ahead of the curve Um, although in the next episode we get to talk about a bit of female empowerment that I am 100% behind Um, and you'll see that when we get to the reveal of what movies are on the next episode but um, in the case of this one it kind of feels like 
the guys and also not something I would expect from a porn director to take that sort of approach <laughs> you know what I mean um, but it, it kind of feels like he's got about two or three really interesting ideas kind of jotted down but just doesn't know how to execute them so as a result what you get is a lot of attention to the death in the movie which is handled like I said before really really well even the ending which is abrupt AF I kind of dug because that's how haunted house movies tend to end they, they end one way or another you either realise your house has been built on top of an Indian burial ground or the house burns down it's one of the two There's the, never, never the two shall meet Mark it's one or the other right. um, and I, I mean it ends abruptly but it kind of left me in the point where one I felt the movie was far too long like really 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 did a lot it laboured a lot of scenes where I don't think it added anything to the narrative or necessarily you know kept my interest fully engaged but two the, you know the biggest crime in the movie is that it teases really interesting ideas and really interesting subtext that we might be able to scratch the surface on and it doesn't even go as far as scratching the surface it really just throws them out as kind of byproducts of of an interesting script without any depth and as a result it finished and I was like well there were some cool scenes in there of death that I quite liked um, and you know a couple of really jarring scenes specifically with the, 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 the shooting of the prostitutes but you know and I, I mean it shot relatively well I thought some of some of the cinematography was really good but the score was kind of all over the place some of the acting is hanky as fuck um, and some of the script as well actually and it, it kind of just lost me at, at the end I didn't dislike the nesting I just felt it was a bit bloated, felt it was a bit overly long um, and just didn't go as far as I wanted it. So this is the, the epitome to me of a straight down the middle average haunted house movie um, without anything on top of it. Is there anything you want to kind of tag in at the end here before <sighs> we give it a grade? Uh, I, I think I like this a little bit better than you did. Mm. I was, like, honestly really surprised at how progressive this was. And, like, like I said, I, I knew 20 minutes going into this that this is, like, kind of a pro-female, uh, like, movie movie about a woman, that, like, being treated like shit, but not like the other movies that we've seen on this list so far. This isn't the woman-hating, like, torture a woman for 90 minutes kind of movie. This This is actually kind of about something... And, um, I don't think the agoraphobia stuff was done particularly well. Uh, like I said, I think on the last episode, I think a lot better movie you like about that subject is Citadel, uh, Mm -hmm. from sometime in the 2000s. I think it's an Irish movie, uh, really good. And I think like, uh, yeah like like the opening scene where she's like i think going to work or something and basically has a panic attack and runs back to her house was fucking comical more than anything it really didn't like it was just silly and didn't really it's it's like an old outdated idea of like what anxiety feels like basically and like i said i think that's just been done better in other movies the rest of the movie like the haunted house basically parts of this movie I would call above average and that's coming from somebody that like I said I don't usually really get down with like ghost movies and haunted house movies but um I I I was actually kind of surprised how much I like this movie I definitely agree I think it's about 15 minutes too long <clears throat> and if you cut some of that shit out and put a little bit more uh 
like like I said, they, there needed to be a scene of them like coping with stuff in there, basically. Um, if if you cut out just like some of the weirder, like dumber bullshit in this movie and put in a couple of scenes that kind of make it seem a little bit more realistic, I think you'd kind of be on to something. And yeah, there's a lot of cool imagery in this. I really dug the scene where she's like, uh, I think she's having a dream like at the beginning and she's just standing mostly naked in front of one of those like mirrors where it's like three panels of mirrors. So you basically get like three images of her kind of, it felt very Jollo inspired a little bit. Mm-hmm. And definitely the ending is very, uh, uh, I guess you'd say like European horror kind of. Oh, it's, totally. it's, a, it's a proto fuck you ending kind of like it's, it's extremely abrupt and doesn't, uh, doesn't like spoon feed it to you basically. So, I, I think my immediate reaction to it was, what the fuck, that's it? It's over? But in hindsight, I kind of respect the balls on him for doing that. And, like, I, I, I would call this an above-average, uh, smarter-than-usual kind of ghost movie, especially for 1981. I think this is pretty ahead of its time. Yeah, this this ending could be twinned with the ending of uh, City of the Living Dead. <laughs> it's yep. just, like the screen cracks on a screen. And then falls apart, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> it's like roll credits, and Filchy's just like, "Ah!" <laughs> just like laughing in the background. Yep. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think we've done this movie justice. I would say Mark saved the day on this one. There is a surprisingly good copy of this up on YouTube. Um, so go and check it out there. It's never been released in the UK, so it does have a release, a Blu-ray release in the States, I believe. I can't remember who put it out. That's uh, Blue Underground, I think. There you go. So it is, it is available. You can check it out over there if you want to buy it, or just watch it on YouTube if you are so inclined. Um, you know what we do, Mark? We do a bit of grading of such over here um, we have different tiers of that grading so we could have the old case dismissed which means there's really nothing in here that would merit a, you know, kind of a sensor taking a second look at it to be fair uh, we have a little bit of a slap in the wrist which means you know you did some stuff um, I can see why the sensors maybe looked at it, but ultimately it wasn't anything too egregious we have community service we're kind of starting to tread into kind of Areas of wrong, shades of wrong, uh, and then we have a bit of hard time, which is for those really nasty bad movies, um, which which censors probably they had to go back to their homes and sit down with their families and have a stiff drink uh, before being able to <laughs> chat to them. How was your day, honey? I saw the most horrible thing. I saw one man eat another man's dick. Um, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Uh, so so uh, where do you come in on the nesting? I think this is a case dismissed. There's really not, like, the, some of the violence is, like, it's pretty nasty in tone, but, like, what we actually see, I think, is pretty tame, and, like, it's, it's just, like, this is far, far from the most egregious thing that we've watched so far, or that we will end up watching on this thing, so I can't really, I, I don't really know why... I guess maybe for 81 this was pretty shocking, but like definitely by today's standards this thing is tame as fuck, so I think this is a, this is a case dismissed. Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of at first leaning towards a, this might be a little bit of a slap on the wrist, um, just because some of the content, kind of thinking the same way as you, but by 81 standards, and then I watched Friday the 13th Part 2, and I was like, oh no, this is vicious. Right, so... Um, 
So yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. This is a, a case dismissed. Like, like we've said, if there's anything in here we've talked about that kind of springs a bit of interest, the only thing I would say as a warning going into it is it does feel overly long, and it, it to be honest, it probably is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's worth checking out to tick off your list anyway. It's a movie I had literally never heard anyone talking about, didn't know anything about it, watched it, and... Um, Surprised it held up as well as it did with its yeah. warts and all. Uh, right, we are going to take a very short break. You're going to hear more learned people speak about Friday the 13th Part 2, and if they don't say nice things about it, I will track them down and rape them. Um, <laughs> With with something nasty, I can't think of what. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna find out who they are and and get them put on the right path. Because you know you know what it's like. Some of these academics have a whole lot of Jason hate, uh, and I, I I never quite got it. Never quite got it. He's he's, he's a poor little boy here with a sack for a head. Um, <laughs> get, off, get off his fucking back. And his mum's head in a fridge. Uh, right, so we we are going to take a short break anyway. When we come back, it's time to finally get around to chatting about Friday the Thirteenth Part Two from 1981. We'll be right back right after this. One of the quickest arriving sequels in history is Friday the 13th Part 2. It came within a year of release of the original one. Originally, producer Sean S. Cunningham wanted unrelated sequels in the mode of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, later on. A separate story. But when he realised that everyone was reacting to the ending of Friday the 13th with Jason, he knew he had to follow that character. The original script, indeed, was called Jason. Jason was originally played by Warrington Gillette, but he couldn't hack the stunts. And so an ex-cop, Steve Dash, took over. That's the reason why the bag's on his head. So you couldn't actually differentiate between the two. Now, Tom Savini, who did the wonderful makeup effects for the original, uh, didn't like the idea of using Jason as the sequel character. And he was off doing the burning anyway. So Carl Fullerton took over. And it's interesting that everything that Carl Fullerton mainly did was cut by the MPAA in America because it was considered too strong. In fact, Friday the 13th Part 2 suffered because of the success of Friday the 13th. Everyone was amazed at what Paramount got through in that movie and so decided to ruthlessly cut this one instead. The original twist in this film had Mrs Voorhees' head in the fridge and it was opened and she smiled at you, but that was considered way too over the top, way too supernatural. So that was completely axed by Steve Miner, the director, who actually was Sean Cunningham's gopher on Last House on the Left. And by the way, John Fury, who plays the character Paul Holt, Jason's out there, was actually born on Friday the 13th. should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. The body count continues. 14. All doomed. You're all doomed. 15. God. 16. Help! 17. 
Ladies and gents, so we are doing Friday the 13th part 2, you just heard the trailer, this one's directed by Steve Miner, who is all over the fucking place. Steve Miner's one of these guys that it's only when you realise how long his career has actually been and how many movies this guy has actually fucking put out that you have seen and chances are that you like that it becomes, like, bizarre. Like, to this man's credits, you've got part two and part three of Friday the 13th. You've got House, which I deeply, deeply love, uh, from 85. 89, they did Warlock. I mean, so... But Julian Sands flying about the place with his campy English accent. That makes me happy. Uh, Halloween H2O, Lake Placid. I mean, like, he's, he's a he's a... He's an interesting guy, is what I'm saying. Directed a movie that my grandma loved, Forever Young, with Mel Gibson. He did, which, once again, like, sit back and think, that was the same guy that did that? You have to, you know, you have to kind of recalibrate the old brain. Did a ton of Dawson's Creek. So, I don't want to have to wait. Not going to do it. <laughs> not going to do it. He did, however, do um, that uh, Day of the Dead remake from yeah, 2008. We'll forgive him for that one. Which wasn't all that great. And he does have a movie coming out uh, relatively soon, according to IMDb, called The Exorcism at Lincoln High, which sounds like a movie I don't want to watch. But yeah, instead of reading this guy's credits, let's get into a little bit of information here. So this is obviously based on the Victor Miller characters, but the screenplay for this one was written by Ron Kurtz, uh, the movie stars Amy Steele, John Fury, Adriana King, Kristen Baker, Stuart Charno, uh, Warrington Gillette, Walt Gorney, Martha Cobber, uh, Tom McBride, Bill Randolph, uh, Lauren Marie Taylor, Russell Todd, Betsy Palmer, kinda. Um, <laughs> I mean, Recycled footage of Betsy yeah, Palmer. Yeah, she didn't. She wasn't like running back to do the second. But she's like, bring me back, bitches. <laughs> It's Mrs. Voorhees time. Um, when I said that, I just imagined there was like a Power Ranger like being assembled from different dinosaurs. And that just I was thinking laugh. of a professional wrestler and she was about to give The Undertaker the chair to the fucking dome. <laughs> the synopsis for this one is Mrs. Voorhees is dead. Spoiler alert. Uh, and Camp Crystal Lake is shut down. Oh, uh, but, but a camp next to the infamous place, which feels like the sort of camp you don't want to be... <laughs> Like and is stopped by an unknown assailant. Yeah, we're the camp beside that camp that people died. Send us your kids for the summer. Um, so this movie came out in 1981. This is the one that gives us Jason, kinda. Um, it gives us Jason as a character, but not Jason the pop icon that we all know and love to this day. Um, we do get pretty vicious sackhead Jason, which does make me happy. Um, 
I mean, this movie has been reviewed ad nauseum by everyone worth their salt who has a horror podcast. Uh, I... I've said it many times, and I'll say it. I've said it on this episode already. Friday the Thirteenth is my jam. That's it's my comfort zone. It's my it's my happy place when it comes to speaking about franchise horror and specifically eighties horror in general. But Friday the Thirteenth too, in a lot of respects, is the one where we start to go kind of off piste a little bit because in that first movie we're setting up this kind of. And yes, you can tick it on your bingo card for phrases that Duncan will say during an episode. There's a little bit of the Jallo about it, a little bit Jallo-esque, uh, sort of picking people off and, you know, I, I, although kind of it's moving to slash territory, which is right out of the, the, the Jallo handbook. Um, it's kind of, it's the, it's the kind of Jallo killer we're only seeing the hands, the POV aspect, uh, the killings are kind, kind of brutal and it's, it's kind of moving that way for sure. Plus, I mean, this, has a death directly out of a Baba movie, so that also helps. Everything's shot very tight too. Like there's not a lot of like big wide shots of stuff. Nothing there's like lots that. and yeah. lots of close ups and lots of like quick editing. So that, I think definitely they borrowed that from Jollo. Yeah, I mean this to me is the like we're taking things again in an aspect because this movie almost because it's the the sequel it kind of resets the barometer a little bit so there's a lot of deaths happening in the first part of this movie where we don't see the killer now we are kind of in that point where we're like could you know who is the killer unless like you try to put your head in the mindset of this one here it is not explicit or even implicitly laid out at the start of this episode that is Jason that's doing the killings either. It's just someone is killing um these, you know, these camp counselors in or around an area where someone was killing camp counselors. You know, like so it kind of resets things and then very, very quickly starts to transition to the to the Jason reveal, um, which I kinda love. It also kind of, like, should have some things working against it. So, like, it doesn't have Savini on special effects. Savini went off to do the burning instead of this. Uh, and I do love the burning. And the burning actually did make it on the, the, the bigger video nasty list. Um, right. So, you know, but because you can tell, because it's much more fucking, like, gory and vicious um, than this one. However, some of the kills in Friday the 13th Part 2 are some of my favourites. Like, the machete to the eye, uh, into the face of the guy in the wheelchair. Yep, the other Mark. That's a, to the only similarity between these two <laughs> movies. They both have a guy named Mark. See, this Which, is... This Mark is okay. I'm I'm okay with uh, what I call probably rather insensitively wheelchair Mark. He, yes. He's all right. He's just trying to, he's trying to get laid, and he's not even, like, being a jerk about it. This chick is, like, coming on to him like fucking crazy and mm-hmm. wants to... Wants to see what's working, what, what equipment's working below the waist. I think she asks him at some fucking point. Yes, yeah, Jesus. Which I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it was a different time, Mark. It was, a, it was a time where you could say, "Show me your dick," and people just yeah. showed you their dick. My mom warned me against girls like that. <laughs> but like, there's there's a, a whole host of likable. This is what I love about a lot of the Friday, not all of them, but a lot of the Friday 13th uh, movies is, I, I like a lot of the characters in these movies, you know what I mean, I really do, I, I can't necessarily identify with them because I grew up in a different part of the world, but I, I enjoy spending time with them and some of the characters die in ways which genuinely make me a bit like, he didn't deserve, or she didn't deserve that, 
there are other characters in here, like there's a, a proclivity in the, the, the series to introduce characters who are quote-unquote funny, and they're not. Uh, and yeah. that's, there's the other shared DNA with the nesting, is one-liner characters who are not fucking funny. When do we get the stoner characters? Is that part three, the one like the chick and the guy that looks suspiciously like Cheech Marin? (laughs) I guess part that's either three or four, and Um, that's their only purpose is to make weed jokes throughout. Yeah, yeah, and then there we get characters like that all the way right through the rest of the franchise because we have to we have to have weed, um, which I imagine someone is going to take as a sample and put out there. Duncan's <laughs> pro weed. Listen to him. Such a reefer head. Uh, I don't even know the terminology that that speaks to my background. Yeah, drugs, man. Reefer um, head. <laughs> I don't know what reefers. <laughs> look at look at Big Bob Marley sitting over there with his podcast. It's <laughs> I and I talking about Friday the Thirteenth. part man. Um, but you know, uh, we've got like so. Yeah. So, I mean, the setup to this movie is almost identical, right, to the first one. It's just the same, it's the same idea as camp counsellors being killed off. To be honest, that's most of the movies, but it's camp counsellors being built off. But what we're getting here is a bit extra on top of this one. So the previous survivor dies at the start. She dies because (laughs) she chopped Mama Voorhees' head off and Jason just decided to put it in her fridge, which I fucking love. Like one day That's I want, iconic. Yeah, one day I want to open my fridge and just see a severed head that shouldn't be there, Mark. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Um, and then we kind of swing back into familiar territory. Crazy Ralph is here, which makes me happy. Crazy Ralph sadly doesn't make it out of this movie, which doesn't make me happy. And as once was pointed out, to me by long, long-time co-host of my show, my main show, Podcast Under the Stairs, The Baz, that is kind of ironic that a man who would spend most of his time hiding in people's pantries would die in a pantry. I mean, <laughs> he lived how he died. <laughs> he lived how he died, right in that pantry. Um, but, we, you know, there's a lot of the, you know, this place is fucking doomed, it's cursed. Also, it's, it's ticking off all the beats, except what we're doing now is we're kind of setting out the Jason character. Now, you could argue once again, though, that when this movie finishes, it kind of wraps everything back up because we end on another dream sequence, which, you know, is here or there, realistically. And we, you know, I imagine if this movie had p- performed poorly, we might not have got a part three. I mean, that's, that's really, because it still isn't the, the, the massive fucking institution that it became. Right. So, I mean, it follows all those through. What I think it does really, really well, though, is I think the deaths are inventive and, and you know, quite nasty and at times quite a bit mean-spirited. Um, I love the location. I love, like, I never went... There, there aren't really summer camps in Scotland because weather. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so we don't have it. It's not a thing over here, realistically, that I love those as settings because I can't really relate to them, but they're always cool to watch. So all that stuff's done great. I think the the performance on um, Jason by Warrington Gillette here is fucking brilliant. Um, just the because he doesn't have anything. He's not the established Voorhees that we will get to know throughout the movies, where all these other guys are going to put their own spin on him. This guy is literally just running around with a sack on his head, ah, looking like he's like running through the woods. Um, 
I love that aspect about it as well. But I think above all else, this to me... I mean, it's not a perfect Friday the 13th movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's fucking fun. This one like has its 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 head set purely for titillation and entertainment purposes, and I really think it delivers on both of them in spades. Like it, it, it knows exactly when characters should be getting killed off. It follows those beats almost textbook like, and unlike the previous movie we discussed. I mean, this one is just under an hour and a half long, and I swear to God it feels like it finishes within an hour. It really, it just moves at a great pace that I kind of get behind. Um, I, I, I genuinely love this movie. I think it's I think it's, it's, it's so much fucking fun. Uh, what about yourself? I'd like, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's probably worth... We are going to be talking about three at some point, and when we talk about three... We maybe like expand the conversation out and maybe try and justify why part one doesn't appear on like a nasty list at all. Part one appears to to slip right through the cracks in a way which feels kind of unsatisfying. In that there's a couple of deaths in part one which are gnarlier than part two. Like specifically the the baconator getting the old blade through the neck is. You know, when the camera lingers there, it doesn't it doesn't take take a you know any time off from that. Well, so sh- it feels weird. I'm but- sure Mama Voorhees getting her head cut off in the first one for the time was pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's like why is that not on the list, but part two is. Yeah, that's know. weird. I, I I didn't I did not know that. Yeah, I, d- I don't I don't understand. Like I, I once again I can understand the burning being on the list. Uh, oh yeah. Oh no, actually, I take that back. Oh, upon further investigation, part one is on the list. It's part three that isn't, which makes sense because it was in 3D and Shelley is a dick. Uh, so we'll get to t- chat about part one. And you ready for this one? March 2022, Mark. Oh God, uh, if we're still fucking alive at that point. <laughs> March 2022. Uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the... It's on the back run of the, the, the movies. So yeah, that makes more sense. I'm glad that I... Check that before I made a total cunt of myself. <laughs> yeah, I think I think by part three, like the, there had been so many movies because because part one was a humongous financial success. It mm-hmm. made uh, it made Paramount a fucking ton of money, and then right as soon as like they were done and it made a whole lot of money, they cranked out part two really fast. I think it came out the next year and also made a shitload of money. So. I think by the time part three came out, this has kind of become old hat and the censors obviously still hated these movies because by the time we get to like part six and seven, the censors were like, all right, Friday the 13th, we've had enough of your bullshit. We are going to take a fucking chainsaw to this film and cut out everything good. And that's good. That's the way it's going to be if you want to get an R rating, basically. So, um, but like, yeah, with these first four, I think like they really, didn't seem super limited by the R rating because these did come out. These did all come out with an R rating. I think they even uh, talked about it at some point with the first one of trying to edit it down. The same with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is fucking insane to me. <laughs> Tried to get it edited down so that they could get a PG because the PG thirteen rating wasn't a thing at the time, mm-hmm. um, which is. Totally insane, but also the first time I saw the first Friday the Thirteenth was in it was an edited version on Monster Vision on TNT with Joe Bob Briggs on one of his Halloween deals, like when I was like I don't know, ten or something. 
I was, when nobody was paying attention, sat and watched the first Friday the 13th in a TV version. It was pretty shocking for a 10-year-old, you know. Um, but yeah, a few, a few years later, I saw the first, uh, definitely the first four of these. I'm, I'm sure at some point I rented all of these, but yeah, there was a weekend where I just did the first four movies, and definitely I feel like parts one and two are sort of similar to like Hellraiser one and two, where they're almost like companion films. You yeah. really kind of should just watch them back to back. And I kind of feel like maybe that's why I don't watch part two as often as a lot of the other ones is because yeah. you kind of have to do both of them. I feel like, I mean, they're, they're both great movies like on their own, but they definitely make really good companion pieces and feel like one big long movie basically. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot of time for part two. I, I think it definitely uh, they, they, it refines a lot of the things that feel a little bit loose and sloppy if, about the first one, just mm-hmm. because I think they were all relatively new filmmakers at that point. And uh, yeah, Steve Miner's no slouch. He's definitely uh, got a pretty. Uh, I, I think you hire Steve Miner if you want to get things done really efficiency efficiently, and. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel I feel like the older I get, uh, more I notice uh, editing and pacing and stuff like that. And I don't know if it's like being on a cell phone for so many hours or however much a day has just like ruined my attention span. <laughs> but I really start noticing when movies like get over an hour and a half long, and I really like. The movie's got to justify that shit to me. Mm-hmm. Like the older I get, like you're you're taking up my fucking time here. Like if if you go over ninety minutes, you better have a real good reason for it. And um, I think I said the same thing about like the Resident Evil movie on the two thousand series, which is man, editing makes such a big difference in how this movie goes by. Like when when your editing is just like really. It's, it doesn't even really have to be quick or, like, fast editing, I guess mm-hmm. you'd say. It just has to be... You have to know when to cut stuff. You can sometimes do stuff with overlapping voiceover to kind of tie two scenes together. Like, there, there's, there's a way you can do it where there's an efficiency to it where you don't really notice it. Like, I mean, I, like, I kind of do just because I'm a nerd about these things and I've done a little bit of video editing and stuff in the past... So I like I think I have a little bit more appreciation for it than like some people might. But the the trick is that you don't want to notice that like something like editing should be something that you don't really think about during the thing, mm-hmm. the, like dur- during when you're watching it. If you are, it's usually a bad thing. And you're like, why the fuck is the scene in this movie? Why is this like as long as it is kind of deal? And uh, yeah, I don't really you don't really feel that with any of the Friday the 13th movies. I, I feel like they know their audience 90 minutes, you get in, you get out, you get your fucking, you know, however many screenings in a day that hopefully will be packed with the horny teenagers. Uh, this is one of the hornier of the Friday the 13th movies, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a definitely a fucking... good good chunk in the middle of this where, like, if you just put porno music over the top of it, it would basically be like a porn because, like, all of our counselor characters like their 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 purpose shifts to well we gotta get some tna in here we gotta Mm -hmm. get you know we we got like sex drugs and alcohol are the things that they're being punished for like are you have to have in these kind of movies basically so they they ratchet up the horny in this one for sure yeah they they really really do and i think I, i think it does like one thing i think part two has maybe the greater impact on i think in a lot of respects 
leading into a lot of what you just covered, into the the template of the franchise moving forward than part one necessarily does. Like part one feels like the and it's taken nothing away from it. I think part one's a fucking incredible movie, but it kind of feels like it's the it's the test run. So it's, it's be- a happy accident, basically. Yeah. Uh, which spawns, you know, once again by accident, a, a character who would go on and become, you know, one of the biggest icons in, in horror history. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great movie. It's great coming. I, I mean, you do not need to force me at any time to sit down and watch Friday the 13th Part 2. It's always my pleasure to, to sit down and, and rattle through that movie. And it was great to do it on here. Um, when it comes to, like, once again, I mean... I'd, I mean, I'll give this one a slap on the wrists, uh, mostly because some of the deaths are a bit gnarlier, but there's still not. There's nothing in this movie that equates to something I would consider being like a like a community service punishable sort of you know crimi- criminal record inducing event. Um, no. You know what I mean? It, it definitely has the kills and the spills and the thrills because I'm rhyming now. Um, but it, <laughs> it doesn't have any. There's nothing in here that, that egregious word that I think I lean into. There's no like Jason rapes someone for no, you know, because we're just going to put that in to, to mortify people or whatnot. There's I, the franchise as a whole weirdly never needs to do that, which I love about it. It just understands that what its audience primarily wants to see is, like you said before, a bit of TNA, uh, a bit of teenagers doing things they probably shouldn't and their parents would not be happy with, um, and then Jason stalking them. Um, and that's that's the formula. And that's why it always perplexes me that, you know, people really think that, you know, conversations about how to reboot the franchise and all the rest have went on and on and on ad nauseum. That's what they want. Just do that. <laughs> like it's, yep. couldn't be, it couldn't be any easier. The formula, guess what? The formula is tried, tested, and true because there's a lot of those movies that did it. Just do that. Um, it's, it's, it's a frustrating thing for sure. But yeah, I'm over the moon that we got to, to check it out and it's a, a slap in the wrist for me. What about yourself? Uh, real quick before I decide what the judgment on this one, I forget because I, I admittedly dozed off a little bit. I watched this one super late last night for the rewatch. <laughs> Is this the one that's got the girl that has like the? She tells the story about like being like. Uh, being attacked by Jason out in the woods, or is that part three? That's later on. I want to say that's part. Is part four, three, four? You know the one I'm talking about, yeah. right? The one that like people kind of insinuate is like, uh, or they like basically say the movie is kind of insinuating that Jason may have like uh, kind of raped her. Yes, yes. Which yes. I, I'd have to go back and rewatch it again. I don't know, like how accurate that is, but I've definitely seen people say that. Yeah, I think it's. I, I mean, it's. I, I think there's there's Im, it's implied, right? It's it is implied. Um, it's definitely it's, not done no. as graphically as some of these fucking movies. Oh no, no, no! Like it, I, any like had this movie come out in the seventies, um, like it would have been the, the, the rape would have definitely been in it. There's no way it wouldn't have been there because that's how that's how we did exploitation movies in the seventies. Um, but no, that is not this movie. They, they haven't okay, quite yeah, like, Jason's trying to remember that. Still not kind of formed yet as a character. They're still trying to work out um, a lot of things with them, including time frame, which has always been the bane of the existence of the Friday the Thirteenth franchises. 
well, if Mrs. Voorhees had them then, and like, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where you can imagine a Comic Con and someone putting their hand up. Excuse me, Mr. Voorhees. Well, actually, in part three <laughs> in 90 minutes and 45 seconds. Now, I had a thought last night about these movies where I was like, these kind of like don't really have, like, you kind of, you have to throw all that shit out the window getting into these movies. Yeah, like, part two, and three, and four are all set pretty much within, it's within a couple of days of each other. Which is right. nuts. You know what I mean? He basically goes right from part two, right into part three, dies in part three, is like, you know, escapes though, uh, and then comes back and goes on a bloody rampage in part four. So it all happens in short order. The only kind of time, like, delay between events is between part one and part two. Um, so it's, you know, it's. You know, it's and then kinda, after part four, it just it basically just kind of just shits the bed, and mm-hmm. like you don't really, <laughs> you don't get a whole lot of continuity. It, it's it's foolish to even like try and like connect the dots with the the later ones. I kind of just pretend that these movies like, um, it kind of take place in like a multiverse, basically. <laughs> like Camp Crystal Lake is like its own weird dimension where shit like this just happens basically I, i'm trying to remember kind of what i was thinking last night i was thinking of it like a very like comic book kind of terms it's like well there's maybe multiple jasons and multiple dimensions and we're just seeing like a slice of this one and that's why nothing makes any fucking sense and why slightly supernatural shit happens throughout these movies where jason can be in multiple places at once kind of deal you just have to go into it like with the kind of mind frame that like this is not a fucking serious thing this is these are like comic booky kind of horror movies intended for teenagers. So, um, yeah, this, this is definitely coming in with a, a slap on the wrist for me. This is not, I don't necessarily think you should be showing like little kids these kind of movies, but these are definitely intended for like 13 through 18 year olds, kind of like it, it, it's it's fine. Your, your kids are eventually going to probably want to watch these movies and. Definitely by the time I was like 11, 12, 13, I was mature enough to watch these, I think. I don't think there's anything super, super terrible in pretty much any of these. Even the the weirdo implied rape flashback in the one. But um, yeah, part two's definitely coming on a slap on the wrist from this guy. Nice, nice. So there we go, ladies and gents. And with that, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we'll be telling you what we're covering next month. Very excited. For at least one of the titles, I've not seen the second title and the name is not inspiring confidence. Uh, You will find out what that is right after this. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this one. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. 
watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. And welcome back. So you've been listening to Doing the Nasty podcast. This has been season two, episode number six. We covered The Nesting and Friday the 13th, part two. Not a bad movie in this episode. I mean, there's various shades of interest for sure, but at least we got two movies which were you know were enjoyable watches so I'm I'm I'm, I'm taking that as a win mark ball yeah same this, this was a good week I, uh, these were definitely not they're far far from the worst movies we've, we've seen uh, maybe, maybe Friday the 13th part 2 is way up there like as far as these movies go maybe not my favorite we, we've got some some heavy hitters yet to come on this show but yeah I think, I think we did really good this week actually yeah, well, let's uh, let's get into some deets about next month. And we were kicking it off with, and I am, like, over the fucking moon. Uh, Black exploitation is entering the genre uh, of doing the nasty with Foxy Brown starting. Oh, uh, sweet. Yeah. I haven't seen it in years. Written and directed by the legendary Jack Kill and starring a fucking who's who of incredible actors and actresses, including E. Wonderful and, by God, breathtaking performance by the legendary Pam Greer. We also get a little bit of Sid Haig, the genre files out there. You know, a little bit of Sid Haig in there. That's right, he is in that. Yep. So, yeah, uh, Foxy Brown is the first of the two movies we'll be covering from 1974. How this ever made a nasty list is fucking beyond me. This goes to show, like, every now and again, you kind of start to think you can maybe start to get inside the mindset of the people making the decisions. But... Then you get like Foxy Brown is you know on the list for no reason at all that I can think of, unless there's some egregious scene that I totally can't remember. It's, it's there. The other movie, I, I've never heard of this movie before, uh, Night Beast from 1988. <laughs> oh. I, I kind of vaguely remember the box for this. This is, this is a big deal with I think with a VHS crowd kind of just because it had a cool box whether the movie's good or not uh, I guess we'll find out yeah it has a 4 out of 10 on IMDb uh, that's this not is good <laughs> written and directed by Don Dollar um, the movie stars a lot of people I'm not familiar with uh, but yeah so uh, Night Beast the synopsis for this one a creature from outer space crash lands in a small town and starts killing people there you go <laughs> right to the point oh no I, th- I think I do remember this uh, the creature yeah. looks like Rawhead Rex on the cover artwork by the <laughs> yeah we might be we might be in trouble in July <laughs> <laughs> well at least with Foxy Brown you have a, a voluptuous black vigilante takes a job as a high class prostitute in order to get revenge on the mobsters who murdered her boyfriend I genuinely love Foxy Brown I have the oh, yeah. I have the Arrow Blu-ray limited edition steelbook upstairs still in shrink wrap uh, that I will be busting open for a little bit of, of Foxy Brown action. Uh, and I'm fairly sure Night Beast was on your list of movies that are on YouTube, so we'll do that. Right. <laughs> I kind of just remembered I got, I've got a bunch of uh, doing the nasty titles on the way from Vinegar Syndrome from their last title I picked up. Nice. 
Please. I'm trying to remember. I got pigs. I know was one of them. I think one of them's called the Terror or Terror. Oh, it's a little bit no. down down the yeah. list. Yeah, they, so they were they were all cheap. It, it was it was during one of their their sales. Uh, terror's like fine. Like terror's fine. Terror's. Bucks. I've just covered Terror on podcast under the stairs. Terror was my favorite out of the movies in the Norman J. Warren box set. Terror is directed by the same dude that did Insemnioid. So okay, <laughs> which is wait did you see that movie, which is also on the nasty list. Uh, oh, and Spookies was the other one that I picked up on Blu-ray. Oh wow, nice, nice. Which I, I, I I've never seen, but I've seen bits and part of on um, I think Best of the Worst or some YouTube channel that I watch. Uh, looks looks fucking bananas. I can't, I can't wait. I, I have seen it, but it's been many. It's uh, 88 films put out over here, so um, I've got a copy somewhere upstairs. So yeah, there's tons. See, before, and I won't give people away exactly what month they fall in, but before this year is out, myself and Mark will be reviewing Nightmare City, which I love dearly. It's just fucking bonkers. Uh, yeah. Yep. Prom Night... Um, the Prowler and Deep Red before this year is out. So, um, so there is some really good ones in here, and with every one of those, we have a movie like The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <it's> all, <laughs> gotta take the good with the bad. It's all about uh, pigs is in the first uh, is in the first year though. So, if you've okay. got that one in, that's a, that's a good thing. We're not covering that till a little bit later in the year, but yeah. So, tons of things still to come, but next month. We will be doing Foxy Brown and Night Beast, so make sure you get them watched ahead of next month's episode coming late July. Mark, as always, you do a ton of really cool stuff. Where can people check out that stuff? Uh, find me on the Instagrams. I'm trying to get 2,000 followers by the end of the year. I think I'm up to like 1,180 or something, so i got a ways to go. I post uh, action figure photography and stop motion uh, pictures of my cat, pictures of my garden, uh, records and Blu-rays and shit that I buy, all that crap uh, on the Instagrams. Uh, I've been doing pretty good keeping up with the letterbox, especially for the summer series over on the teapots. Uh, I think that's uh, just fancy space mark on, on the letterbox. Uh, definitely keep an eye out on the teapots main feed because the summer series, uh, we've already got one of the episodes that I'm on recorded and I think the next one's going to be uh, here in the next couple weeks or so, uh, uh-huh. we ton of fucking work went into those, and that's pretty much like usually at the beginning of the doing the nasty shows, we talk about what we've been watching. We didn't do that this episode because literally every fucking movie I've watched for like the last like month or so has been for the summer series, and I'm not even done yet. Like if if we're gonna be recording the second episode here pretty quick, like maybe next fucking weekend, I need to get <laughs> cracking and get a couple more of those watched so that I could be thoroughly prepared. So definitely, definitely, if you aren't already, which I can't imagine you aren't, uh, go subscribe to the the main T Butts feed and keep an eye out for the summer series, which should be coming out here in the next like uh, about two months or so a lot lot of work went into that so definitely please go check that out excellente excellente right we are going to take our leave of you hopefully you've enjoyed this episode doing the nasty will return in one month's time with boxy brown and night beast but until then take care of yourselves and we'll speak to you all next time They were called nasties, and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific.
These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen a video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.